At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blenders, and welcome... Welcome to episode number 226 of Real Blend, a podcast that's excited to talk about Beast, and we ain't lying. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing editor here at Cinema Blend, and on this week's show, She-Hulk has arrived on Disney+. Plus. Uh, we have another giveaway to announce to our listeners, so make sure you pay attention to how you can win some free movies from us. Uh, and s- director Scott Derrickson uh, is coming back around. We missed cool. Scott when the Black Phone uh, opened in theaters, and uh, he made promise to come back and catch up with us. And so Scott is going to be joining us for the home video release of the Black Phone. And that allows us to talk about spoilers and his approach to adapting Joe Hill and a potential Stephen King adaptation that he would like to do. Uh, and then his very candid uh, reaction to Doctor Strange 2. So I think this is a pretty interesting conversation that you're going to hear from Scott Derrickson later on in the show. Um, before we get to that, let's introduce the boys. We're going to start with Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hello, Kevin. How are you, sir? Sean, Jake, Gabe, uh, hot take. The Black Phone is better than Multiverse of Madness. Yes. Yes. I don't, I don't disagree with that. Yep. I don't disagree with that. That's a Black correct Phone, take. Well, Black Phone is solid. I mean, it's, it's great. I really like it a lot. Really good. Yeah. And like, uh, yeah. Multiverse of Madness is okay. It's, it's, it's all right. That's it's kind. A, it's a movie. It exists. There's some great moments in that movie. You, you think he went to a theater to see it? Yeah, I think he did. The executive produced it. Also, oh, I'm sure he saw it before. Yeah, I'm sure he screened yeah, it. Yeah. Like a rough and, cut. And the Black Phone trailer, which was smart. They didn't really probably need to from the director of Doctor Strange, which I think is interesting because it's horror film. But, you know, you guys will get this. You'll hear it in the interview. Um, I played the same card with I did with Tom Hanks, where I was like, Tom Hanks is going to be in Elvis and it's opposite Lightyear. And I was like, how weird is that going to be? <clears throat> and now here, Black Phone was opposite Doctor Strange. And I was like, how weird is that? That you your movies in the same place. They both got delayed kind of thing. And he was like, yeah. it's not strange. It's. Doctor no pun, Strange. No, no pun intended. He's like, it's satisfying. And I thought that that was really cool because he branched yeah. off and did his own indie, indie movie. And I'd argue his movie made with. more profit, probably. Possibly. The other chair is uh, Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Uh, returning from the Field of Dreams, sir, how was it? Uh, like most sequels, not as good as the first one. Uh, really? I mean, you can't top Kevin Costner walking out of the corn. You can't top that Tim Anderson walk off home run. Like yeah. every everything was so fairy tale esque. This one was perfectly fine. This one was the um, multiverse of madness to the Doctor Strange. Okay, so when does the luster of that game wear off? Apparently like, now because they're not doing it next year. 
Really? Oh, really? They already yeah. said that? Yeah, well, they're, well um, Frank Thomas, the big hurt, uh, uh, purchased all that land and they're repurposing a lot of it to um, like add some youth baseball field. So it's not that MLB isn't interested. It's just going to be under construction in 2023. Okay. Uh, but I think if this year taught them anything, it's just that like maybe you should make this something special or at least be better at picking the teams. I know this isn't a sports uh, podcast, but like there's nothing sexy about Reds Cubs, particularly no. in, in, in two seasons where like neither of them I mean other than the fact that they're two of the like most iconic old teams I guess but both of them suck right now no one no one cared about that game right or St. Louis just bring St. Louis in St. Louis yeah. and yeah, St. Louis and Cubs. Is a huge yes. rivalry let's go yes huge yeah. rivalry could you imagine um well I guess Yankees White Sox was the first one but Yankees Dodgers at the Field of Dreams would be pretty awesome that'd be great yeah. or even like Dodgers Padres or something yeah like, that. like a natural yeah. rivalry yeah so yeah. uh chiming in from St. Louis is Gabe Kovach in the producer's chair hello Gabe how are you I'm good. Glad to be here. Just just to clarify, the sport you were talking about here is baseball, correct? That is correct. correct. Okay, yes. cool. I just want to make Can't sure. Can't get anything past you. Field I'm of joking. Dreams. Come on, Kev, you watch Field of Dreams. I'm totally kidding. He's I'm joking. just I'm not, I'm just not a sports guy like you guys are, but uh I did see bodies, bodies, bodies this weekend. Oh, we're gonna see it. My boss saw it and won't stop talking to me about it. And I, every time he walks over, I'm like, stop, stop talking to me about it's it. So good. Yeah. Check out Kevin's, our interview. I want your opinion on that later, Kev. Um if you're watching us on YouTube, Gabe, wants you to remind us to uh, hit like and subscribe. Follow us along on every Friday when the new video drops. Uh, quite often we will have a video this week. We're going to put Scott Derrickson in. It is not video. It's just audio, but it's still worth listening to. Uh, go to YouTube.com backslash Real Blend Podcast in order to follow along with that. Of course, we're available all the other places where you get your audio podcast needs met. On Mondays, we drop a Real Blend premium episode. Uh, quite often we play a fun game um, and we're going to have a. Uh, We'll reveal at the end of this show what the topic of the next premium is going to be. Check the description to find out information on where you can sign up for that. In the meantime, uh, Gabe said uh, he has a new uh, uh, giveaway to announce, and this involves some really cool titles. So, Gabe, take it away and let the people know what they can win. I really want this one. Yeah, I know you can't have it. But uh, yes. So if you've been playing along, this is this is, I think, the third time that the lovely folks at Movies Anywhere have um, dropped us some codes to pass on to you with some sweet uh, movie packs themed around the, uh, next week's blend game, which we'll talk about at the end of this week's show. But I wanted to give it to you up top. We are playing hashtag music biopics blend. Awesome. Um, and you'll have to write in using hashtag music biopics blend. Um, and let us know what your favorite music biopic is. Uh, and the movie pack this week is three awesome movies. We have Elvis, Summer of Soul, uh, and Straight Outta Compton, the unrated. Straight Outta Compton. Oh, that's a great I don't know if I ever movie. saw the unrated version of it. I have not either. It's great. It's really good. The unrated yeah. version? Yeah, the unrated version specifically. And I do want to mention, that's the giveaway. More on that later and uh, and write in and, and yada, yada, yada. Uh, but James Morrissey joined us, Sean earlier this week when folks are listening to this um as a bonus episode absolutely the writer director and star of a movie that everybody needs to go check out called i love my dad uh if you guys have not heard of this movie i'll give you the very quick tagline uh Patton oswalt is the estranged father of james morrissini's character uh james is going through some psychological issues and because of that has cut his father out of his life uh which in the modern time means and him on social media. Uh, and so in an effort to reconnect with his son, the father uh, creates a online profile uh, using photographs of a very pretty girl uh, and then engages in a romantic relationship with his son. 
uh, and essentially catfishes his son. What? And it's all based on a true story. Wow. Um, and it's about how far the father lets this go um, when the son starts to feel attracted to this woman who he's meeting online and talking with, uh, even though it's the dad. Uh, and um, wow. you just wait for the culmination, and the culmination is every bit as cringe as you hope it to be. <laughs> um, but James completely knows that it's cringe, and he understands the uncomfortableness of the situation. He, he admits on our interview, which you can hear, it's a bonus episode that's available to people right now, that it was actually at the encouragement of his therapist the, to work this out on film, uh, maybe write a screenplay about it and, and, and see Wait, how it, it happened develops. to him. Yes. It happened to him. So he's playing himself oh reliving uh, the experience of his father, creating a fake online profile. Has his dad seen the movie? Son. Yes, his dad watched it for the first time at South by Southwest in an audience and then afterwards went up and did a Q&A with James uh, <laughs> at the screening. And then the movie ended up winning the audience award uh, at South by. Wow. It, yeah, it's really great. It's very, very uncomfortable. Um, Would you recommend uh, seeing the film before listening to your interview? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I think so. Yeah, because eventually we start to get into some of the specifics about how they danced around because in some of the instances they do change what actually happened, but mm-hmm. he, he'll say that he kept the emotional truth of what they went through. But, but he also recognizes like, I have to make this a movie. I have to make sure. it kind of entertaining. Um, and, and they do. And I just, it's a good introduction to a strong filmmaker's voice. And so check out, I love my dad, which is going into wider theaters and sh- probably should be on some streaming service relatively soon. And then listen to our interview with um, James, Morrissey, who was a really interesting conversation. But before we get into the rest of the show, um, we mentioned Scott Derrickson uh, and him coming on to talk about the Black Phone. So, uh, without further ado, how about we throw it to Scott Derrickson joining us on the Rebel and Podcast to talk about the Black Phone and Doctor Strange Two, and maybe a Stephen King adaptation that he would like to do in the near future. Scott Derrickson. <laughs> Scott, I just want to let you know that the house across the street uh, recently went on sale in our neighborhood, and my 14-year-old immediately asked me if our neighbor was setting up some type of uh, black phone kidnapping system. So I want to thank you very much for that. <laughs> I, had a, I had a guy tell me yesterday that the uh, that the trailer and uh, marketing campaign scared his kids so bad that he started threatening them when they misbehave. If you don't do, if you don't do what I'm telling you, I'm taking you to the black phone. (laughs) (laughs) How do you feel about that? You being used as a threat. It's awesome. (laughs) I think it's fantastic. Uh, Okay. So this movie screened pretty early. I want to say, was it fantastic fest that you brought it to? That's correct. Okay. And then it kept getting delayed. um, And I'm curious when that happens, are you part of that conversation or you just get told that it's getting delayed? No, I was a part of the conversation. Um, okay. Yeah, it was uh, the, 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 the moving it from February to the summer was my idea. Jason Blum was the first one to flag it because the pandemic was heating up. We had that, you know, was to date the highest spike in COVID cases right around mm-hmm. that time. So um, but then I was the one who really fought to release it in the summer. I just thought it would do really well in the summer. And it did. I mean, obviously, it did extremely well, earning uh, almost 150 million worldwide. Um, so it found its audience. And so I'm kind of curious, in your opinion, if the horror audience um, is just more communal and, and more supportive of that theatrical going experience. 
Oh, no question. I mean, uh, you know, I think the box office has proven that, you know, the two things that that uh, that's, that still do very well theatrically are event pictures, especially franchise event pictures and horror films. Yeah. And especially uh, with Nope coming up right behind you guys. I saw this yep. support sort of felt between you and Jordan Peele recently on Twitter uh, and more of that sort of horror community vibe. Um, we had him on the show recently. Uh, talking about you know bringing horror to the theaters, uh, and I just think what he's doing is incredible. I think I don't think anybody has had more influence on the box office than Jordan in the last probably five or six years in terms of just you know making people aware of of how uh, risky and innovative you know horror filmmaking can draw huge audiences. Does it embolden the choices that you're trying to make moving uh, going forward, seeing what audiences are receptive to? I mean, I want people to see my movie, you know, uh, I, I, that's always something I, I look for, but I don't, I don't think about it um, in those terms so much. I, I always, the only way I know to go about the creative process is to think about, you know, what scares me, you know, and if it doesn't scare, if there's not, if it doesn't make me feel frightened, it's probably not going to make the audience feel frightened. And then in terms of box office, I just, I think of myself as a really good moviegoer you know, with good movie going sensibilities, pretty in line with uh, a lot of what the general public likes and a lot of what the general public wants and doesn't get. And, uh, and I try to think of myself as, a, as, a, as an audience member for what I'm making, you know, I try to make a movie I would like to go see. And so far, you've made a ton of things that uh, do not compare to other things that are out there. Um, I guess it helps when you get source material from Joe Hill uh, and just the uniqueness that he brought to um, the voice that shines through, I think, in the black phone. No, no question. You know, I think that that, um, it, you know, I had read this short story like 17 or 18 years ago mm-hmm. and had always thought about the black phone as a, just a great idea for a movie, but never could really crack it and how to do it. And, and it, the timing was right in terms of, you know, me having the window uh, stepping off of Multiverse of Madness. But I think that it was also, you know, just where I was at, where I'm at personally, there was a lot of things that about that movie that were were really, you know, in line with things that I had been going through personally and where I felt like I was at as an individual. So it just uh, um, it, it just all it all fit. Having read the short story, Ethan uh, is not the person who I, you know, who jumps to mind. So I'm curious how you gravitated towards him for the grabber. Didn't think about Ethan. um didn't think about Ethan at all while writing it. Um, and <clears throat> what it, how it started actually is when I, we finished the script, I was still on Multiverse of Madness when Cargill and I finished that script. The, uh, the, the original writer for, for, for Multiverse of Madness was taking way too long and we just had a window of time. And I said, let's, let's write a spec, you know, and, and we decided on that one and we wrote it. I thought we were going to give it to another director to go make because I thought okay. I was going to be gone for two years, you know, making Multiverse of Madness. Right. And uh, um, and so once I stepped off of it, I decided to go make this. And then in reading it, I thought, you know, this character is going to be in a mask the whole time. I've got to have somebody who's got an interesting voice. I've okay. got to have somebody who can really, you know, have a presence um, from, from behind a mask. And, and it started with that. And I was like, I've always thought that Ethan had one of the best voices in the movies. His voice is so distinctive. It's got such range. It can be very high and light. It can be very dark and gravelly and low. And uh, so it started with that. And then the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, I just think he might 
you know, be up for the challenge of doing this, which he was. Uh, Scott, I want to rave about someone else who's in your cast, and it's Madeline McGraw. Um, yeah. Who, what a find. Um, I thought she was incredible. What stood out to you? Uh, was there an audition process and what stood out when, when you were meeting with her? You know, it was one of those fortunate things that you always want to happen where uh, a casting director sends you a tape and you see it and it's just lightning. And uh, and she her audition was the scene with the detectives and uh, and what she did in the audition was very similar to what she does in the movie. And I just remember watching it unfold. And I was like, boy, this girl's really good. And then when it got to the to her, you know, that's right. I'm the grabber. You know, and then all the all the all the you know dumb fucking fart knocker lines. I laughed. I laughed so hard at the audition tape, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's Gwen." You know, that's yeah, her. Yeah. And I, I, wonder... I felt, and I, I felt so strongly about her, by the way, that I moved the entire production for her. We were supposed to shoot in the fall, and um, and uh, uh, and she was on a Disney show that had shut down because of COVID. And it mm. ramped back up. And so I got a call saying we have to recast Madeline McGraw because she's got to go do her Disney show. And so I called Jason Blum and said, I'm not making this movie without that kid. She's going to wow. have she has to be Gwen. And he said, you realize if we move until if we move to January, we could lose Ethan. And I said, it's a risk I'm willing to take because it, wow. it's, it's got to be that girl. Oh, my so, God. That's yeah. what a what a vote of confidence in, in her, yeah. obviously. Yeah. And out of relief to you, I'm sure, you know, when you find that person who fits the role so perfectly. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and, and I think Mason is 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 equally, you know, kind of astounding in his his uh, performance and the, in the, the kind of what I think is a perfect nuanced performance, you know, in a in a largely non-dialogue role, at least for the second half of the script. Absolutely. And, um, and I, I just think that he's. I think they're both just, you know, such miraculously gifted kids. And, and to find one of them w w was, was amazing. To find both of them was just, uh, was, you know, again, using the word miracle. That's how yeah. it felt to me. Yeah. Lightning in a bottle. Did you use um, Super 8 millimeter film at all for Black Phone? I did. Yeah. All the dream, I... all the dream sequences are shot in, uh, in Super 8. So talk to me about the choice to use that because you use it, you use it often. And I'm just curious, do you think it just fits really well in the horror genre? Is it just something you prefer using? I, I, I'm really, I really love the medium. I'm really fascinated by it. Um, you know, I, I first saw it really being used and explored by Oliver Stone in the eighties. And then it's just sort of dropped off and nobody was really doing it again. And especially in digital photography, it's just so easy to use, you know, software and, and uh, phone apps and things like that, that, that's, that emulate super eight. And, and, and I think that the look of super eight, especially when it's projected in a theater, mm -hmm. nothing, nothing else looks like it. The, the, the grain structure, um, the kinds of various colors of the Kodak, Kodak uh, super eight stock. It's just a really emotionally remarkable um, medium in my opinion. And I also find it inherently kind of creepy. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. I just I, I think if you go into your grandmother's attic and or, or, or closet and find a, an old Super 8 film and watch it, I don't care what's on it. It's going to feel a little creepy. Yeah. Very you know? <laughs> and, and, and so so uh, and, and I think, uh, you know, exploring the different film stocks like I did on on um, on Sinister, that's when I really started to feel like, boy, this is an underutilized medium uh, that, because it, because every stock did such different things. And uh, and then and I felt like. 
you know, to, to separate the dreams out with that was a, was a really good consistent device for, you know, communicating to the audience when, when we are and aren't in a dream state. Scott, is there an issue at all in terms of availability of it, or is that not an issue? Uh, that's actually a question for my DP. I mean, they, you know, both Chris Knorr on, on Sinister and, and Brett, my DP for, uh, for Black Phone, you know, didn't seem to have a problem. There's a mm -hmm. very limited number of places um, that develop and process it. And it's also very risky to use because, you know, there is no negative. It's not like you develop a negative. It, it, when you take a Super 8 film, you know, reel out of a camera, you develop that. That's the film. You know, it, it develops as a color film. And then you have to digitally transfer that, you know, to a digital editing system. Oh, so, wow. so you almost inevitably already start to get some of the dust and, 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 and hair. And, you know, it ends up being inherently messy most of the time. But, but if you're going to work in that medium, you're usually embracing that. I was going to say, that's what you're probably trying to get to a certain extent. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Scuff up your image a little bit uh, from that point. Um, so we, we played something on, on the show uh, recently where we uh, solicited our, our listeners uh, to play, we do a, like a blend game, it's called. And, and, and in this one in particular, it was Book to Movie Blend, where we tried to pick our favorite uh, books that have been adapted into movies. And since you have experience um, adapting books, and specifically this one as a short story, I was just curious if you had one that stood out to you uh, as a, a really effective adaptation from a book into a movie. Are you talking about in um, in uh, in the horror genre or in any genre? It can be any genre. I'll tell you the one that I'm going to name. Okay. I mean, there's lots of them that are the, sort of the big ones. The Godfather was a great book and adaptation. The Shining is a great book and adaptation. But I, I think that probably the most impressive adaptation that I've ever seen was Ted Chang's Stories of Your Life, which was adapted into the into the arrival. Okay. Um, Ted Chang is is, in my opinion, probably the best science fiction writer working today. And he only writes short stories. He's not very prolific. Every one of his short stories, any other writer would turn into a novel. Every, every short story is this, has these giant ideas in it. And, um, and when I read the title of the book that the anthology that was published in was called stories of your life and others. So it was the, it was the signature story. Hmm. And it, it was so elegant and thought provoking and profound and when I heard they were making a movie out of it, I was like, no fucking way. <laughs> good, 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 good luck. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and so when I, when I, uh, um, when I saw the movie, I was just so impressed at what they were able to preserve, not just in, in, you know, obvious, the large, obvious storytelling components, but really the spirit of it, the ideas of it, all of that. I thought that was a really, really brilliant adaptation. Uh, back to Black Phone just for a second. Um, do you think that it's a concept that can be sequelized? I do. <laughs> Are there any plans for you to potentially <laughs> sequelize it? We'll, we'll see. Possibly. You Possibly? Know, uh, yeah. I mean, I, we, the movie's not even out of theaters yet. So um, I haven't, uh, I haven't, I haven't uh, gone that far down the path yet. By the way, I kind of love the fact that we're doing an interview on behalf of it coming to digital and you can still find it in theaters. You know, yeah, the idea it's, it's, that this this 45 day window is for this movie has been blown out of proportion is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, every day I get the little box office report. It made like, you know, two hundred fifty thousand dollars yesterday. 
good mm-hmm. you know way, way to go way to keep chugging along and it still <laughs> has it hasn't even been released in korea yet which is a major international market so the end box office is going to be probably in the 160 million dollar range uh, that's fantastic. Um, so, okay, so you've adapted Joe Hill now, obviously, and we're going through a little bit of a, another uh, King Renaissance as people are rediscovering some of his old works and, and reinterpreting them. Have you ever thought about taking a swing at any of his stories? Yeah, there's a story of his that I was involved with an adaptation of that was actually a pretty good script adaptation that Scott Teams wrote, um, uh, who's the writer of the, like the last, I think, two Halloween movies. Um, and Scott's a good friend of mine, and I brought him uh the short story for the breathing method which is mm-hmm. the fourth short short story in the four seasons which includes the shawshank redemption and the body which became body. stand by me and at yep. pupil so the breathing method is the is the only short in that book that has not been adapted yet it's a great short story i think it'd make a great great horror film okay Good. Let's hopefully put that out into the universe. Um, you mentioned Multiverse of Madness. I'm just curious if it was strange to you, uh, no pun intended, to be in theaters opposite that sequel, the way the thing is planned out. Um, no, it wasn't strange. Um, it was satisfying. <laughs> yeah. Know? yeah. Uh, you know, because I walked off of a Marvel movie. Who does that? You know? Right. Uh, and, and, I, and I knew that, that whatever I did next, um, I wouldn't say... I thought I'd be scrutinized for it. I just knew that it was really significant. You know, that if I, if I did that and I walked off and made a bad movie or made a movie that was a failure, that would be, that would be very um, uh, problematic for my career. So, so the the way it all worked out is really great. Did you feel in that moment that when you walked away that you had a lot of people questioning your decisions? (sighs) Yeah. I mean, it's quite a thing to walk off of a, uh, uh, you know, uh, one of the most anticipated movies in the world that's a sequel to your own film. Sure. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. It's a universe so, you help build. Yeah. Well, and, and to get you out of here on this one, Scott, I do just want to go back to one scene in your Doctor Strange, um, which I find to be one of the most moving ones in the MCU uh, in its totality. And that's the ancient one uh, telling him that it's not about him. Um Yeah. And it's one of those scenes that I feel reminds me, because um, I'm a parent, I have two boys, and I like to use MCU movies to almost teach them larger lessons. Uh, and that scene in particular, I think, sells so many really important messages uh, that elevate it beyond a comic book movie. Is that scene uh, as important to you? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think that's, you know, there's, I've got, you know, I've got three or four scenes in in the history of my filmography that that I think boy, I really got that one right, you know, and, and that, that scene in particular, because it was, it was also a very challenging scene visually, you know, they're in these astral forms and, and, uh, and time has stopped. And, you know, there's so many ways that that could have gone wrong. And that's that, but that's a scene that I look at and I think, boy, I really, really got that one right. Yes, you did. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for taking the time, Scott. I really appreciate it. And And my uh, pleasure. I I apologize again for being late guys. Oh, not a problem at all. Hope to talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. 
Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thank you so much to Scott Derrickson for joining the show. Uh, he, he's someone who I wanted to get on for a really long time, and uh, I'm glad we got to talk about Black Phone, get into some of the other options uh, that happened over the course of his career. Hopefully we'll get him back for some other stuff uh, in the near future. I wanted to uh, pivot slightly and get into television uh, briefly just because earlier this week, uh, Better Call Saul uh, came to its conclusion uh, with a finale, and we're going to... We're going to stay completely, completely spoiler-free, primarily because uh, the other hosts on the show are not caught up with the with the finale just yet. Um, but all of the episodes should now be available to you on AMC if you have the app. Uh, and I did notice that the earlier seasons landed on Netflix. Um, and I just wanted to give the uh, team behind it, the Vince Gilligans and the Peter Goulds and obviously Bob Odenkirk and Rhea Seahorn and uh, Mike Ehrmantraut, um no, Jonathan Banks. <laughs> who plays Mike Ehrman Trout, uh, and just the unbelievable Giancarlo Esposito, the unbelievable work that they did on a show that we have talked about before, you know, should not have worked as well as it did. Uh, and it's a prequel, you know, in terms of telling the the rise of Jimmy McGill to, to become Saul Goodman. Uh, for anybody who has experienced any of the episodes of the season, you also realize that you start at a place where Saul ends up at the end of Breaking Bad, uh, and the way that the show figured out how to balance those two storylines, um, early Jimmy and and later what happened to a character named Gene, essentially, um, and what this final season did was finally get to where um, Saul catches up with Breaking Bad, you know, and, and the moments where those timelines interact. And what, what the finale ends up doing, again, without giving away any specific details, um, is bring fuller closure uh to characters and moments that were really important in breaking bad so the guys who were running better call saul talked about the fact that the finale was not just a finale for better call saul but was really a finale for the breaking bad universe in its entirety which they had been working on for the better part better part of 16 years um and i will say over the course of the hour and 12 minute episode there were four to five times where i was just like Holy God, I can't believe that they, you know, included this and mm. stuck the landing. And it's very different than the Breaking Bad finale, which I think needed um, a bit of a violent conclusion and, a, you know, explosive conclusion. 
Saul was never about that. Saul was very much a character study and was very much about like the the battle for the soul of Jimmy McGill kind of thing. Uh, and I had I just had to give it a, a round of applause for for completing the journey uh, with the way that they did. And I think that those two shows now existing together are without question uh, some of the strongest television dramas that that uh, we've ever seen. So, And what you just said is interesting to me because. I've seen seasons one through five. I have not seen season six yet. Um, and uh, the way you just de- described it is how I've been feeling about the show since season three. I, I, I genuinely I mean, Breaking Bad is my favorite show of all time. Um, I, I and to be honest with you, like I was hesitant on Saul and we see a lot of these. And again, I'm not comparing it to like Star Wars and Marvel, but we see a lot of these Disney plus shows trying to go back mm. and 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 give the story prior this is really how you do it. Um, yeah. And honestly, it is so rewarding. I haven't seen this season yet. I was waiting for it to finish then I wanted to binge it. Um, but in terms of it, it is explored areas of Breaking Bad, especially with Mike, um, which uh, which I think is one of the most fascinating characters of Breaking Bad ever, which is why Saul was so brilliant in the beginning, because I'm like learning more about this guy, because all these characters are in a gray area. You know what I mean? Like they're characters you care about, but they do bad and good things. And you're just like floating back and forth morally. And you know, what would you do in this situation? Do you think it's right that he does this or that? Um, and I just think Odenkirk and Rhea Seahorn, everybody on that show is incredible, but you guys got to catch up with it. It's really terrific. Excited. All right. Yeah. Um, new Marvel. And you know, we talk about Marvel uh, often on the show. And Too much. Some might say, <laughs> not here but somewhere oh i thought i thought maybe you meant yourself jake that you were tiring uh, of marvel that was a great recap by the way of uh Saul. thank you thank I like you i really appreciate it. it it was yeah. really terrific um she hulk is uh dropping and i'm not sure how many episodes i think they're going to drop three uh two or three uh, uh on the first time that you can start streaming it and or is three so maybe she hulk's only two i forget I'll double Gabe, check. can you double check that for me Go ahead. um and uh, I'm going to be candid with my reaction to She-Hulk. One. One episode? Oh, okay. Yeah. According I, to me, uh, this could be wrong, but August 18th, which is the first episode, and says the second episode is 25th. Okay. Um, and uh, it's, it's going to speak to the fact that I guess I'm in the minority on how it's being received, because I do want to start off by saying that the reactions dropped uh, the day that we are recording. We're recording here on Wednesday. The embargo lifted and people were able to start sharing their sentiments. And I kind of braced for a for scathing, you know, kind of backlash against this show because of what it was trying to do. Um, And it really is from start to finish trying to be a a Marvel, probably the first Marvel sitcom, just a straight up sitcom. Um, Unlike WandaVision, which played with the tropes of sitcoms, but did it for a narrative reason this is a a true a true marvel is trying to make a legal comedy essentially um that that exists in the superhero universe now if you're okay with that concept then all of this might work but i didn't buy into that concept from the get-go so i never got into what was happening um and anytime i i really tried to phase out of it um tatiana masli maslani Tatiana Maslany would do something that pulled me back in, whether it was breaking the fourth wall uh, or making a really quippy reference to, um, you know, things that are happening in the MCU 
and she's snarky and really funny and i like her a lot in the part um she suffers from the from the cgi whenever she transfers into she hulk it's bad cgi which we've discussed it's been discussed on the show um and and you know maybe the issue at marvel with them working their vfx artists uh is starting to show through especially on the tv side of it but beyond it i just didn't i i can't get into the format of it i can't get into the 30 minute format of it that takes a lot of time and i've seen people sort of celebrate the minutia of the day to day of being a superhero uh that it's not all battles and it's not all um you know, bombastic sort of epic storytelling that this is really just like, here's how she would uh, work angles of a case, or here's how she has to infiltrate the place where the abomination is, or um, these are, she's going to go on dating apps. Like dating apps takes over the course of an entire episode. And how come? And I found it to be kind of mean spirited toward Kevin. Tell me if you got this sense at all. I found it mean spirited towards Tatiana Maslany's character, like when she's not She-Hulk, they make a lot of jokes at her expense, you know. Um, and in particular, yeah, like one time she sets up a dating profile and she's completely like getting uh, ignored, and then she makes the dating profile for She-Hulk and then gets recognized out the wazoo. Um, and the next morning when she wakes up and she's she's Jen Walters again, the guy can't get away from her fast enough. And I was just like, that's really like kind of mean-spirited and i didn't think that that was like the right tone then there's a character who you know get too many specifics but like there's this male chauvinistic lawyer um who is on trial essentially because he thinks he's dating megan the stallion this is episode three the guy's just a jerk like he's a character right out of the 80s in a bad way um and so a lot of those jokes just hit me as tone deaf and so i struggled to finish the four episodes and there's enough MCU myth type of stuff that I'll finish it. And I know that Daredevil is coming eventually, but I didn't love the first four episodes. And so to see the reaction from people saying that, like, might be their favorite MCU show and, you know, praising Tatiana Maslany, which I think is, is rightfully so. I think she's terrific in it. I was stunned that people liked it as much as I did because I didn't really care for it at all. Uh, yeah, for me, I mean, Tatiana Maslany is is one of the best actors working today. I mean, obviously, she played 17 characters in Orphan Black, and she's no she's no stranger to transformations and transforming. And even though what's interesting about this series is that um, she bypasses the anger aspect of it and actually is stays Jen within the Hulk character. Um, the CGI doesn't work. And that is a it, like it's and again I'm, I'm not comparing this to the irishman but when i look at the irishman the first thing i think about in that film was how bad the effects looked on the younger versions of the actors now i still mm. dig that movie but it's the first thing that hits my mind when i think of that film first thing i think hits my mind when i think about she hulk outside of tatiana maslany's performance is the cgi just doesn't look great mm. um which does take you out it feels cheap um, and I, you know, I think the show deserves better. I think she deserves better, uh, material. Um, I think she is strong enough to keep the show afloat for people who are interested in the, the style of the series. I, I saw somebody compare it to Ally McBeal. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and that stuff, you know, it's all about if you're interested in that format, it may work for you. I, I just found some of the comedy and some of the, the screen screenwriting just didn't 
it just felt like it should be better. Um, but this is also not a She-Hulk problem. To me, this is an MCU series problem. Yeah. Um, I Outside of Loki, I haven't really dug really many of the MCU shows. Uh, you know, I didn't love WandaVision past episode three. I didn't love uh, Hawkeye. I didn't even finish Hawkeye. Um, uh, now, so I probably can't really give a full critic, critical point on that, but I didn't finish it because I didn't dig it. Um, and Did I you also... Did on Moon Knight too? Yeah, I didn't finish Moon Knight. I just... Yeah. And again, it's not because it just wasn't something that I just found myself interested in on a weekly basis. Um, The shows to me in the MCU feel like the B side of the A team that we've watched in theaters. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and, And I think these shows deserve better. I mean, these are widely viewed, massive shows that are being put in front of millions of people that I believe should be given the same effort and love that the MCU movies are given. Um, and I feel like there is a step down when I watch their series sometimes outside of Loki to me felt film MCU film level, mm-hmm. especially that last episode. Um, and maybe she Hulk will get better as we go on. I read a story today about, about having to cut down some of the she Hulk scenes because of the CGI. I don't really know the specifics on that, but Tatiana Maslany, I just think deserves a better better show um and just in terms of like the the special effects and some of the writing um and the character you're referring to there's a that the male character who's extremely rude um it's like really harsh dialogue like 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 to a point where you just kind of feel gross when you hear it and and i i know exactly what you're talking about dated too isn't it's very mean it's very mean and it seems it did it did take me out i was like damn that's really disturbing like why would yeah. like because no one else in the show is in that tone except for him right right you right. know what i mean so uh right. so outside of that so i mean like listen i i watched the first four episodes i will continue because of tatiana maslani um and i think that they're you know the fourth wall breaking is interesting i'm interested to see where daredevil pops in but my criticism of the show is basically the same criticism i've criticism i've had for pretty much all the marvel series yeah um like just Lots of exposition, lots of, you know, and this kind of feels more on the Hawkeye side, right? Where it's kind of like on its own, you know, it's like a little, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a story that takes place in the MCU that, that can exist on its own, but may have bigger implications later. Um, So far, because like they are bringing Wong in and, and through Wong, they're kind of addressing Abomination and Shang-Chi. It is interesting. You do have to be up to speed with everything that's going on. And that's what compels me to watch yeah. MCU stuff, but but this one feels like um, a chore. But but I, I do want to say with Tatiana Maslany, like she does get some jokes that work really really. She's well. great, and then that, yeah. that's the thing. Like that's what's frustrating is when you're watching it, you're going, "Damn, she's awesome!" Yeah, like that energy is incredible, and she's so great at it. Like I want more of her. Like if you know, anytime she's not on screen, it's just not interesting. But I can't. I continue to despise Smart Hulk. Smart I don't mind Hulk. Smart Hulk like you do. I don't mind it, <sighs> dude. It's I'm in your worst. boat. I haven't seen I haven't seen the the series yet. And we're recording this before they drop this week yeah. or the first episode at least drops this week. But I am with Kevin just to back Kevin in that moment. I, I, I Smart I, the, Hulk I'm cool with. Yeah, the first episode of this show, which drops this week, is primarily her and Ruffalo. Yeah. So uh, that stuff I didn't mind. It, it's it, it just doesn't. I didn't find it interesting as it continues. But, you know, maybe it'll surprise me. I'm I just think these shows deserve better material. It's not just She-Hulk. 
it's an MCU series thing. This well, is not this is just indicative of what's been happening. And we're getting into a number of really exciting, potentially uh, <laughs> Marvel television shows, including the 18 episode Daredevil series um, and Secret uh, Invasion, which is a scrawl, a scrawl uh, taking over key members of the MCU. And oh, this is going to be a TV show. So, so they have to start figuring out like how to raise the level of these shows. Yeah, um, I think then- what I think what might be getting answered early on when the Disney Plus shows were getting announced and we were starting to see one at a time, and they were all tied to these main characters. The question we always asked on this show was: Are these shows that you need to see, or are these right. shows that are just extra bits for people who care about them? Right. And an eighteen episode order of Daredevil and a lot of the shows we've seen so far kind of tells me that Marvel, and I, th- I think we've discussed around this in recent weeks, but like, I think Marvel is going the way of, we're just going to put as much content as we can out right. for people who want it, but mm-hmm. we're not concerned about a simple through line. Well, simple. Right. They were doing three movies a year. Let's not undersell that. But like, we're not, we're not, we're no longer interested in only being three movies a year that are going to make $3 billion. Um, and that needs to be tight and that needs to work from movie to movie. It's I think it's just more it feels like they're working more towards um, similar to what I would say the comic books have ended up being and did end up Mm -hmm. being, which is just there's universe here. There's a universe here. There's these characters here. If you want if you want all of it, it's here for you. If you want this, it's here for you. And it's Mm -hmm. it's no longer this neatly made polished thing. But Loki to me was a a necessary show. Like, well, those that, will, those like, will exist. Like, those will probably right. exist. But I think maybe, that they're maybe more interested in be. just making more content with with more of yeah. the characters because they have so also, many. Also, for people wondering, like, you know, there was a lot of questions about the fourth wall break. It's literally a fourth wall break. I mean, there's no there's no question to it. I mean, she's breaking the fourth wall in the MCU. And, yeah. And I don't and I don't mean this to be completely derogatory or, um, you know, like snooty, but I use the word content very specifically there. Like, yeah, I'm not I'm not saying the MCU should be can, is always to be held up with the highest standard of film, um, but pretty incredible what they were able to do, the genres they were able to play with and to the, yeah. the scale that they were able to make these movies and yeah. make them, you know, people people don't like not everyone likes MCU. That's fine. But they always reached a level of entertainment and quality filmmaking. I think at this point, Marvel is more interested in making content when it well, comes to some of these things. And one other, one other thing to throw out there, too, like, I think it's it's very clear that at every step of the way, Marvel has decided to just make a legal sitcom. You know, like this yeah. is th- this is what they want this show to be. It's called Attorney at Law. Yeah, <laughs> and so you either buy into the concept or you don't. Um, you know, right. th- they're not. When you talk about them trying new things, th- that's what they're doing with this. They are trying to make a legal sitcom. Uh, Ally McBeal is a perfect example, and so they get. I think they get close to that. I just think it was an right. unusual decision. Yeah, and if you and if you like that thing, that style of format, then you might dig it. I mean, that's yeah. the thing is like like at the end of the day, we're not here to tell you to not to not watch it or watch it. We're just you know, I, I'm just coming at it from perspective. I just think these shows deserve better. And it's People not just are She-Hulk. people yeah. are digging it. So yeah, let us know. Let us hear from you guys in the comments down below uh, whether you checked out She-Hulk and whether you liked the first episode. And uh, we'll continue to track it as the series continues. Um, let's stop a little bit for an ad break, and we'll catch you guys on the other side. 
Fairfax is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back as we get into this week in movies. Uh, we have a movie called Spin Me Round, uh, which stars Aubrey Plaza and Allison Brie. And I will admit that I got a screener link to this one and really wanted to catch up with it. Did not get a chance to. It is going to be in limited release and going to uh, AMC Plus streaming. So you get a chance to check that one out. Uh, Delia's Gone is coming to limited theaters. I know is it Delia's about. or Delia's? I don't know. I've never heard Delia's? anyone. Delia's? Delia's? Could be. We could be wrong she, with that. I've never heard anyone pronounce it. She's gone. He's gone. He or she is gone. <laughs> Delia is gone. And uh, if you want to find out where they went to, check out this movie in limited release. But there you go. A wider release uh, is Jaws in the Jungle with a Lion. Uh, that's basically what I think it is. Uh, it's called Beast. It stars Idris Elba. And uh, Jake, am I wrong in dismissing it as that? I mean, it's no, nowhere near as good as Jaws. Um, okay. You know, it's a really good anaconda. Um, I really oh. liked it. I, okay. I, I, um, I have an affinity for the um, animals attack humans kind of movies. Um mm-hmm. I think this is a really nice, tight, R-rated, brutal 90-minute thriller. It's exactly how long it needs to be. Whenever it wrapped at 90 minutes, I thought, wow, that's that's perfect. That's exactly how long that movie like that needed to be. Um, here's what I'll say is that I did um, watch this via screener in my home, um, and there were multiple sequences where I thought, damn, that would have been really cool to see on the big screen. I would have really liked to have seen that in a theater. Um, the CGI on the lion, I think is absolutely fantastic. And something like that is really what makes and breaks a movie like this. There are lots of sequences um, where things are required of the lion that they probably couldn't have done 20, 25 years ago when they did something like ghost in the darkness. Would, would Disney describe the lion as live action randomly? 
They would. They would say it's live action. They would give it a celebrity voice. Yeah. It would anger me, and then it would make a billion dollars. Um, no, I, I really liked it. It's it's nowhere near perfect, but I think it's 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 got a nice pace to it. The thrills are there. It's the the um, the attacks are brutal. It does not steer clear. It, it does not contain itself to a PG thirteen rating. It is R rated. Mm-hmm. Um, they attempt to add some layers to the characters by giving this backstory with Idris Elba and his ex-wife and how they split up a year before she passed away. And it sort of caused a riff between him and his two daughters. My issue isn't that they attempted to do this. My issue is that this is a topic that comes up at moments where it should not be coming up. Like okay. when you're stuck in a car in the middle of a safari and a lion is trying to eat your face. That's not the time to bring up whatever issues you have <laughs> that, that with your family. Like that's not the time to have this sort of like come to Jesus. These things I've been holding in my whole life. Let's let's survive first. And then we'll have those talks. So that's that would be sort of if I had to nitpick it, um, you know, it's it, it, it's it attempts to be something more than it needs to be and stumbles a little bit there. Uh, the camera work on it is fantastic. There are some really spectacular oneers um, that really are impressive because all throughout these long one takes, this CGI lion has to pop in and out of these takes. So you think about. Not just the planning and the blocking that goes into this for the DP, for the director, for the actors involved, but that they have to account for the fact that multiple shots in this one are are going to have to be CGI shots. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really impressive in that regard. Uh, You know, I, I, I hate to hold a movie by a standard for what month it comes out, but like for an August late summer movie, which is normally a dumping ground. I really dug this movie. I can't imagine anyone seeing it and and with the intention of like knowing what they're getting into and walking out going, I didn't get what I was promised. You want a lion thriller, you're getting a lion thriller. A question. Um, This looks a little bit more like polished, modern action-y, but how would you compare it to a genuine comparison? We talk about Jaws and things. Sure. The Ghost in the Darkness. Did you watch The Ghost in the Darkness? Yes, of course. In fact, those two lions, the Savo lions, are about a mile north of me. They're in a museum here in Chicago. That was a movie that scared the hell out of me as a kid. Sure. How do, how do, how do those I mean, compare at all? Ghost in the Darkness was, one, a true story. So yeah. you've got that that actual. And then the Ghost in the Darkness also was a much more complicated story. It was much more of an ensemble piece. Right. Um, not just Val Kilmer and Michael Douglas, but you got the story of the laying of the railroads throughout Africa. That's a much bigger spectacle of a film. Beast is a very simple, oh, really? um, you know, th- th- four people in a car around a car stuck in the safari. Kind. I mean, there's a little bit of survival. Here, yeah. Thing, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I think ghost in the darkness is much more story driven um, than beast is. How about crawl? Is it like crawl? The alligator crawl, movie? crawl is a perfect comparison. That is yeah. a perfect comparison. And, and also like probably the same in, in the same regards to, to quality. Like I, th- I, I really dug crawl. I yeah. dug it for what it was and what it <laughs> attempted to be. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like movies aren't aiming to be, up here sometimes movies just want to entertain you and then be forgotten about as you walk out and i think that's what crawl was and i think i think that is that is a pitch perfect comparison all right sounds good kev you saw it too yeah i mean i liked it i did not uh love it uh i think the script is not good i think the camera work and the performances are great uh i want to shout out charlton copley who i i i I want to see him in more films i just why isn't he in more films 
Yeah, and I don't know how much you guys know about the story of District 9 and how that was made and, and just, like, the way him and Neil Blomkamp made that film. There was basically no script. Uh, it was, like, bullet points, and they, like, improv a lot of it, and uh, he was acting against a, a gentleman named Jason Cope who was, you know, standing up on these massive things to do the prawns. Um, but in terms of Charlton Copley here, it, it kind of... I just love the way he works as an actor with visual effects. Like, there's a really cool scene in the beginning of Beast where... Um, he's walking up and hugging a lion and it looks incredible. Like some of the best CG I've ever seen. Um, and it was just a guy with like two green things that was like putting his arms around him and it just looks outstanding. Um, so from a filmmaking perspective, uh, Baltazar, the director of this, who did like two guns, um, it's a lot of wonders, as Jake said, um, to a point where it reminded me, like if someone were to watch Children of Men and watch that wonder. Um, which is very famous in the car with Julianne Moore and Chiwetelichio for with the ping pong ball and um, and that motorcycle that comes down the hill. That's very similar to what these oneers felt like. Um, mm. You have seven, eight, nine minute oneers, which are you know we're inside of a jeep uh, or a vehicle and and uh, similar to the way the shot that Chivo did in Children of Men and Alfonso Cuarón, where you were in this vehicle in a oneer. Um, actors were ducking out of the way of cameras and things like that. Um, that to me is what makes the film so work in terms of immersion. Like when you are in a sequence where you're not cutting for seven plus minutes, there's no safety as an audience member, right? And mm -hmm. a, a cut really kind of equals, in my opinion, safety sometimes. Mm -hmm. it, it, it allows you weirdly or unconsciously or subconsciously to realize that you may, might, may not know it consciously, but you're watching a movie and an edit is there. And sometimes, you know, you do feel it if you're not immersed in it well enough. But when you're in a shot for that long with the with a, a lion that's, you know, approaching your characters, there is no safety there. there it's all about the frame and, and what's coming from left and right. And that's really well made filmmaking just in terms of like how you design and shoot that. Um, I thought that performance wise, everyone did a great job in it. The script is just not good. And that's the problem is like Jake brings up the 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 theme of the mother. And that all is interesting and plays narratively into the into the storyline. But it's it just it feels forced. It feels like a forced story within this intense environment. And I get it. We need to have drama to understand where his daughters are at and what they're willing to do to push forward to try and save the family. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't love it. I liked it. I thought it was fascinating. Um, it's really well shot. Um, and to me, that's the star. The camera really is the star of this movie. It is, it is an outstanding uh, example of great immersive cinematography just within a film that I think the script was just fine. Why is the lion mad at them? It's uh, so that okay, now the movie is a lot deeper than we're leading on. Um, the movie is actually if that's a, a spoilery. Don't answer. No, it, it's not but a spoiler. I'm just, the, OK, the movie is very, very heavy on the theme of poaching. Oh, OK. Um, and that is a gigantic, gigantic uh, part of the story. The reason the lion's upset is 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 essentially around that idea of, of, of you know, people, poachers and anti poachers. And um, I don't know enough about that world. So, I you know, the movie itself obviously plays with those thematics and, and those real world issues. Um, but to me, that was actually a huge part of the movie that almost doesn't get its due in terms of what it what it's trying to say because the script just isn't good enough to mm. carry that 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 theme forward. Um, I get what they were going for. You can feel it. It's almost as if like the filmmaking took over the importance 
uh, and the camera work and the, and all that w- took more importance than the actual story, which mm. happens. I mean, I mean, Avatar is a great example of that, where you feel like the technical aspect is more important or better than the than story and the dialogue. Um, so for here, I think those thematics are there, but they feel like they're thrown in and they don't feel they don't feel natural within the environment um, of the story as they're talking about it. But that plays a huge part into the into the narrative aspects of what the characters are doing why the lion's upset, um, and it's a huge theme. Jake, and, right? Am I right? Yeah, it's and, and a to major your point, theme. You know, I don't know if you just being in the news. Every four, five, six months or so, I feel like I hear about a story um, where poachers are killed by lions. Like they're going after the lions, and the lions turn around and go after them. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So there very much is a a source mm-hmm. of reality for why the lion is acting this way. And I know one of the great big loud yelling obnoxious debates we've had on this show is uh, whether or not the shark is the villain in jaws i'm much more willing to have that conversation about something like beast where the opening scene of the film is is sort of the origin story for why Mm. this lion is behaving the way it is to which you can go you know what you know, screw those humans. You know, they right. they, they got yeah. what's coming to them. You is know? The, yeah, that's an gr- interesting point. I actually think it falls into the exact same category as Jaws, like the uh, in terms of like how you could say that. Yeah, that's it's an interesting, interesting. I, I'm, much more, I'm much more willing to concede to the lion not really being the villain than I am the shark. Well, oh, I don't consider I don't consider the lion the villain in Beast at all. That's what I'm saying. I, that's why I'm, I'm yeah. in, like I'm conce- willing to concede like the fact that like, yeah, yeah. The, the lion is not. The lion, yeah. the lion is just behaving the way a lion does well, because we've seen headlines where literally something like this happens. And what kills the Jaws sequels is that they start giving Jaws motivation, motive, motive to right. go after <laughs> to go right. after the well, family. Well, I, what I've always loved is is in the last act of Jaws. It's not, you know, the, the sequels are literally called the revenge, you know, and that it's, you know, yeah. the the by the last act of Jaws, it's never straight up said but you start kind of thinking, is this shark like freaking pissed at this? Is it like going at that's to me what, what the terror of Jaws is, yeah. is that the shark knows that it's people are coming. But like it's coming back. It, it keeps coming to me. That is, again, not to get into this whole thing because we don't have time for it. But to me, that's why I argue that the shark is the villain in Jaws, because he's not behaving not the, the way one. animals do. And the, the first animals one don't the behave that is- way. Is the first one's human nature. It's not victim. just the mayor. It's human nature. Shake is the shark is a victim. Yeah, I'm, I'm a victim of this of this show. OK, let me ask you this real quick. I can't do we this. We on. can't do this. No, 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 we can't no, do no, the Jaws thing. This is a different movie, man. It's a different movie. Do you consider Gordy a villain in Nope? No, no. He's no. A Why? He's a victim of the circumstance. Yes. Well, what's the difference between Gordy and, and Jaws? And because the shark, the shark put itself in the circumstances to be chased because it kept coming after and going after them one after it was it was not behaving in a way that Shorty should never have been in a sitcom. This is a never ending conversation. Yes, that we, it's, it's, we, we, we have we have to agree the fact that we're never going to come to the same though. Someone did. I did see someone on social media and I can't believe between the three of us, none of us thought to ask him. None of us. We should have asked Quentin when he brought up Jaws. We should have asked Quentin about the villain thing. I and I thought, damn, whenever someone said whoever that was on social media, well done. Um, I'd never once thought to, to ask him about that. Well, I'll tell you why, because we're saving it for Spielberg. 
It's going to be one of our questions. Oh, God, uh, just got chills. be one of our questions during the Fableman's Press when we ask Steve. That we have not yet been invited to. (laughs) No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, All right. Our blend game this week, uh, in honor of her appearance in Spin Me Round and also just her incredible career, uh, is hashtag Allison Brie Blend. Uh, And because of this, we opened it up to both television and film. Uh, And so I'm going to have Kevin go first and tell me, his choice for Allison Brie Blend. Kev, where'd you go? This is hard because I favorite is interesting because I kind of went uh, a bit of a blend. I think my favorite thing she's done, at least that in my recent memory, is Promising Young Woman. Um, like I just I know she's really kind of known for her comedy and, and, and different aspects of her career because she's obviously done a ton of things. But the scene that she has with Carrie Mulligan at that restaurant mm-hmm. uh, and where that ends up going is so pivotal and so uh, incredible. Like that, that performance in that scene, that character is so despicable mm. and she play in terms of what, how she reacts and kind of like the way she treated her character and, uh, and things like that. Promising young woman. I, you know, I thought I was thinking about this movie the other day and just cause I was watching uh, Bo Burnham's uh, outtakes for inside. And I was just thinking about him and like, you know, how great he was in promising young woman. And then I, and then we did Alison Brie blend and I was thinking about, like all the different sections, because wasn't wasn't it chaptered? Wasn't it like sectioned off in the film, yeah. like in Promising mm-hmm. Young Woman? Act one, um, act two. Yeah, and I always found myself. I've seen the film a few times, but that Allison Brie storyline, the 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 way Carrie gets the re- or the Carrie Mulligan's character gets the revenge on Allison Brie, and kind of like that whole scenario, that whole sequence of of time in Promising Young Woman, I think is just brilliant. I think Brie plays that part perfectly. Yeah. You talk about people playing like people who are maybe done despicable things, um, but you, you still under, you still kind of uh, are entertained watching the character like Brie, like that, that's a really hard character to play because like, you, you know, as, as a, as an audience member, we dislike her immediately for, for what she did to Carrie Mulligan's character. Um, and so I found that whole sequence uh, at that restaurant to be just so riveting and so intense. Cause we know where Carrie Mulligan's coming from, Allison Brie does not. Mm-hmm. Um, we are the we are we are fully aware of what what this scene is about to be, and Allison Brie does not. So we're just watching her go off and drink that wine or whatever she's drinking over and over again, and just getting to a point where she's just saying whatever and like proving Carrie Mulligan's point to her right in front of her face. Um, and I just found that scene to be brilliant in a film that where Carrie Mulligan really shines. Um, I think that supporting cast is just as good. Um, Bo Burnham, everybody in that film is incredible. Um, so that was the the role that I went to when I thought about her. Um, I mean, I you know I think I think she has a lot of other different roles, which I'm sure people are going to choose. But I think that's a great performance from her. Great choice, absolutely great choice. Jakey, where'd you go? Um, you know, there actually was a surprising amount of of different work to choose from. Um, Probably the best thing she's been a part of was Mad Men, but this is one of those situations where like I'm not going to pick Mad Men because Mad Men was was great for a lot of reasons, and she was part of an ensemble, but a sort of a smaller part of the ensemble, so I can't really pick that for her. Uh, I'm going to pick Glow, which was just an incredible, incredible series on Netflix that was somehow canceled right before they got their last season, which I'll, okay. I'll never forgive Netflix for. But if you if you're unfamiliar with it, it's that it was that period of the 80s um, where it's glow is gorgeous ladies of wrestling. It was they created this wrestling league that was all female. Um, 
And it's a really amazing, eclectic cast of characters that make up this this sort of um, this this league that they that they create. And I'm fairly ignorant when it comes to wrestling, so I don't really know how a lot of that works. But Allison Brie has what is oftentimes in a situation like that the thankless job to sort of represent the audience where like she's sort of the straight person that is used as the vessel to introduce to us uh, as a character, as, as an audience to all of these other wild and crazy eclectic aspects of that world and that business and that industry at a really interesting time. Um, and oftentimes that's kind of as an actor putting you behind the eight ball, because it's hard to be that person, but then also be interesting and well-rounded and, 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 stand up to some of the more wild and crazy characters that are on the show. And Mm -hmm. she still manages to do that. Like her performance goes toe to toe with, with Mark Maron and then, you know, all the other ladies on the show. Like it's really an amazing achievement to be both the person who represents us, uh, kind of the, 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 the less exciting character, but then also be well fleshed out and thoughtful and three dimensional. And and she does such a great job with the performance. Um, It's, it's really, it's an amazing work where the fact that she's able to be a part of this, such an interesting ensemble uh, have one of the, the lesser flashy characters, but still be just as interesting, if not more so than everyone else on the show. And the fact that she was not given the opportunity to wrap up that character and that storyline with the, with what was about what they were about to start filming the last season. I'll never understand that and never forgive Netflix for. But um, I'm gonna I, I went with glow. Was there a tease at the end of the second season to, to well, suggest well, where the was, third was, was going to go? The, it was supposed to be the fourth. Um, it's been so long since um, I'm trying to think of how the third season ended. It's it's yeah. it's been it's been a while. But but every season like. It, it was it was going somewhere for sure. OK, yeah, I, I know that there's always like you hear save glow, you know, becomes like a campaign on on social media. So, you know, that it definitely resonated with people. Um, So f- for similar reasons to where you guys went off and just in terms of how she fits into an ensemble, I went with community. Sure. Um, And community is so perfectly cast mm-hmm. um, and they're all such distinct personalities. And what I found really wonderful about Alison Brie in particular, uh, but really it applies to all of them, is how they evolved over the course of the the show, figuring out what it was going to be and then testing the boundaries of how far it could go. Um, so she starts us as being the sort of mousy uh, rule follower who wants everybody in the study group to get along and to participate. And, and uh, you know, is she a love interest for um, for Jeff, the main guy? Uh, is it going to be a love triangle with her and Britta kind of thing? Um, which is what a traditional sitcom would do. And instead it branches off into, you know, unexpected directions. And because she's so talented and because everybody in the in the script is so talented, uh, they're able to roll with the punches. And so when when you get an episode, which they did every single year, uh, which was the uh, the Nerf gun battles, yes. uh, she's extremely believable when they're able to switch up genres and try really bizarre things in community. Uh, they're all incredibly credible uh, in the parts that they do. Uh, it's Dan Harmon's dialogue is obviously fantastic. He's been great in other things. But when you pair them with some of the directors and the Roosters did a lot of work with community uh, early on, it just brought out the best in these people. And um, she always stood out to me. She always stood out to somebody who took what should be a very cliched character. They all kind of did uh, in community and how they made them their own in a short amount of time in a, in a show that was always fighting uphill 
uh, to find an audience. It seems like NBC was constantly like moving it off the schedule, or I think at one point it finished its career on Yahoo, essentially like well, Yahoo streaming. The, the Chevy Chase drama. Oh yeah, all of that that comes with it, and then here you have like you know Donald Glover uh, poised to break out and become one of the ex- more ex- you know extremely talented musicians and and creative artists, and still playing a really great part uh on on that show and and i don't think that allison brie ever got overshadowed and in fact kept the uh personality of annie uh being really really specific and i go back and rewatch those episodes repeatedly and i think she's just terrific and so um i went with that uh let's see audience picks Lowen M went with a movie called Horse Girl, which I never saw but only heard really strange things about it uh it's a netflix movie that she's in um, Ariel Pace, Damien McDonald went with Glow. Uh, Abby said The Little Hours, and Jose Munez went with uh, Kevin with Promising Young Women. Uh, Munoz, Munoz. Munoz. Uh, Jose Munoz said Promising Young Women, and then Jeff Cabrera, Philip Addison, and many, many others sided with me for community. So as people had, uh, as Gabe had mentioned earlier, we are going to be playing hashtag music biopic blend. Biopic? Biopic? What are we doing? Uh, biopic is absurd, so I say music biopic because music biopic sounds like a medical procedure. Yeah. Well, biopic is it's short for like biography, biography picture. picture. Biography yeah. picture. All right. Hashtag music biopic blend. Let us know your pick via email at realblend at centralblend.com. And, and because of that, gives you a chance at a movie pack. I'll send another reminder here while before you shut down. Uh, please Elvis. Do. Elvis, Summer of Soul, straight out of Compton. The lovely folks I at movies. I want to win these. I want you can't. to win these. So I don't have to spend $20 on Elvis. The lovely folks sure. at Movies Anywhere provide us these codes. So uh, make sure that you have access to Movies Anywhere. Um, enter to win. This giveaway, we have five codes. Five of you lucky folks. You guys know that Elvis did really well at the box office. Oh, it's still chugging. I feel like that's kind of the sleeper success story. That and, and Black Phone. We're kind of one of those situations where, like, we look up in September and go, I'm sorry, they made how much? Like, yeah. Elvis did, didn't Elvis do like 140? 141 as that's, of last I think weekend. that's incredible. I don't, I don't know how you guys feel. I feel like that's a, like, they have to be very happy with that number. I want to say that Black Phone crossed 150 I don't, I don't, just recently. Not world, I mean, worldwide, maybe, not domestic. Yeah, me, yeah, worldwide, I yeah. believe. Well, what's, um, what's Elvis's worldwide? Ew, hold on. Like two fifty, maybe. That's that's. They, I mean, for a nearly three hour long biopic about Elvis Presley, they've got to be. They've got to be happy with that. Two sixty two. And I, I always kind of so. assumed that Elvis was going to play far better in the states than than he would elsewhere. Well, it's well, it's about the same. It's one forty one domestic, one twenty yeah. international. You know, you forget. Why you forget. He well? may not have toured internationally, but he was sure. a worldwide star. Sure. Apparently, I'll tell you why it did so well. Uh, Tom Hanks came on Revelant. And shared. Sure, you did. Of, you are right. You're correct. Told a number of really interesting stories about uh, not just Elvis, but his time in the film industry. If you guys haven't heard Tom Hanks on the Real Blend podcast, that's anybody ever see should. the? Have you ever seen the Flying Nun? When you should seek out. Are we ever going to be at a point where we're so comfortable with him that we can explain the honks joke? No, <laughs> never. Well, I will say never. I'm He's saying playful. never. He's playful. All right. Uh, check the description for you. you guys can sign up for the Ribble and Premium. We're going to have a new episode of that on Monday, and we'll be back next week with uh, a bonus episode and a full episode uh, with a with some really exciting interviews that we can tease uh, soon enough. One of them still has to happen. Uh, so one of them once still has that's to happen. one of that's banked, we'll be able to tease that a little bit more. So um, 
you want to find out some insight into what's potentially coming to real blend uh, through some strategic teases on on social media you can follow at jake's takes at kevin mccarthy tv at sean underscore o'connell at gabe kovach and then the show is at real blend give us a follow share Please. us with a friend uh as you guys learned if you want us a shout out to uh friends uh we will do that for we you can't guys. become that show we did that last week and then yeah, those two like girls that, i know but then those two girls followed me on instagram and now they're very friendly now they're like part of the Roblin family so it's not going to get you verified sean no nothing <laughs> is going to get me verified at all jake thank you for reminding me um so until then we'll be back next week the fablemans close encounters pads. at parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices by developing better technologies we keep moving forward with each new idea innovation and partnership we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day to find out more Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program.